take your Bibles, if you would, tonight. Um, this is a great study. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, it's We're going to start out with, be at a couple other places as well, but our main text tonight is Genesis 39. You might have already figured that out since I alluded to studying Joseph tonight in the scriptures, and we want to take a look at his life, not, not in the typical or perhaps uh, popular way of looking at Joseph in chapter 39, which is usually preached as a text about helping us to have moral purity, how that Joseph overcame sexual temptation, and obviously that's a part of the text, and there is some great life application there. But I want to try to give you what I believe the message that Moses wrote in Genesis 39, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the context of what was taking place in the book of Genesis, and make some applications along that line. And so the theme of tonight um, in, in our Bible study together is the theme of God's presence with Joseph. It actually is the framework um, that is kind of bookends to Genesis 39. Let me show it to you. Uh, four times, two at the beginning of Genesis 39 and two at the end of Genesis 39, and you might already know that. Um, the little phrase, the Lord is with him, or the Lord was with Joseph, is right there. Um, the first one being found in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Um, the next one is found over in verse um, 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. There, there's the second time it's used. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So there in the opening verses 2 and 3, we have the first two, the, the first frame work, the one end of the bookend, so to speak, right there at the beginning of the chapter. But lo and behold, you go to the end of the chapter, if you look there. And in verse 21, and then later, I believe, again, in verse 23, we have the last two. So we have two at the beginning and the end, um, again, to frame that in. Let me read them for you. Um, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, so underline that, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Last usage, number four, verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Here it is. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. So again, I've said it a few times already. And I'm being redundant on purpose because I want you to get it. I want you to get that the theme of this passage is that the Lord was with Joseph. It's the beginning and the end. And, and what we, when you have that kind of a framework set up then you realize that everything in between those two passages at the beginning and end tells us what it looks like in Joseph's life, what it looks like when the Lord is with you. And that's the key to the text. I think that's the main point. So if I had a big idea, and that's what preachers do, a one-sentence synopsis of what this chapter is trying to teach us, um, it would be something like this. When you choose... To live in God's story, he is with you in prosperity and in adversity. So let me say it to you, and then I'm going to tell you why all those parts of that sentence are crucial. So the big idea of Genesis 39 is this. When you choose to live in God's story, he is with you in prosperity and in adversity. So... It's not just as great of a truth as it is um, that God is with us as his people. He is with us. I mean, I'm going to say later on, that's Jesus' name when he is born in Matthew's gospel. Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, God is with us. And there can't be a greater truth for the times that we live in in 2021 than that truth. To know as Christians that God is with us. But it's not just that simple. And that's where the context of Genesis 39 in that chapter and then how that chapter fits in to the whole book of Genesis really makes a lot of sense and makes the story come to life. Um, now, the theme of God's being with people um, is a main theme that runs from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It's all throughout the Old Testament. 
It's also throughout the New Testament. Um, just to get you thinking along those lines, this is just a great Bible study on your own if you have time on another day. Um, let me just give them to you, and I'm, I'm going to run through them quickly. You can re-watch this if you want to get all the references, but I'm just going to show you the steady stream. And I'm not just doing this to give you a list of people to really confirm in your mind how faithful God is to being with his people. I want you to see more than that because it is more than that. I'm going to give you the list of people, but these list of people throughout Old and New Testament are going to show you this principle that God is with you when you are living his story, and his story is the redemption story. The story from the very beginning about how God is redeeming the world. And all the people in the list I'm going to give you and the references that go with them are people who had a main part in that story. All right? So the first one is Abraham in Genesis, and then you have his son Isaac in Genesis 26, 3 and 24. It says that God, the Lord, was with him. It says it of his, also his grandson, Abraham's J- Jacob, twice in Genesis 28, 15 and 31, 3. It says that the Lord was with Jacob. And then we come next in the story of humanity, the first human beings in the, on the planet. We come to Joseph. And we're gonna, we already saw that that's what frames this chapter, 39 of Genesis, that the Lord was with Joseph. Then you go on a little further to the book of Joshua. And you see that Moses, God was with Moses because he tells Joshua, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua 1.17 and chapter 3 and verse 7. So there you have the beginning in all the places in Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then you have the part of redemptive history called the law. And that's Moses. And the Lord was with Moses. And then you have the next epic in the era of, of redemptive history is the conquest of Canaan. And God says in chapter 1 verse 17 of Joshua, three and verse chapter 3 and verse 7. And then again in chapter 6 and verse 27 of Joshua that he is going to be with him. So as Joshua defeats all the Canaanites and the enemies of Israel, the Lord is with him. The next part of redemptive history is the Judges. And the book of Judges begins in chapter 1 and verse 19. And then again the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 18, saying that the Lord would raise up Judges for his people so that they would defeat their enemies. And that it says, and when he raised up a judge, that the Lord was with that judge. And so all throughout the long history of all the Judges, that the Lord was with them. The next epic in history is Samuel. He's the last of the judges. He's a kingmaker. He's a prophet of God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, And the Lord was with Samuel. And then we break into the last part um, or epic of redemptive history in the Old Testament, and that is the kingdom error. And it says, 1 Samuel 18, 14, and 28, the Lord was with David. The Lord was with Solomon, 2 Chronicles 1, 1. On down the uh, line of kings, the Lord was with Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18.7. The Lord was with Phinehas, who was a famous person in the Old Testament, not because he was a king, but because how God used him in the priesthood. 1 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 20. Asa is the next king it mentions that the Lord is with him. In 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 9. And the very last Old Testament king, that the direct statement that the Lord was with him is mentioned is Jehoshaphat. And that is 2 Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 17 and verse 3, I think I have there. But then you go from the Old Testament and you bridge over to the Gospels. And obviously the Lord was with Jesus. Um, And he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. His name means God with us, Matthew 1, 23. At the very last stage of Jesus' life, leading into the church age, the words of Jesus as he's ascending into heaven to his own disciples... In Matthew 28, 20, is lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. So he wanted to know as he sends them out on the Great Commission to the nations that he's with them. Um, in particular, the Apostle Paul, who was the a last of the apostles, so to speak, as he plants churches and the missionary journeys and all that he did um, at the beginning and the fledgling years of the early church. Um, just one allusion to it, Paul is told by Jesus in the in a very difficult time in his life in Acts 18.10 when he's at Corinth that they said, no, don't fear, Paul, uh, for I am with you. So you, you have this example all throughout redemptive history. This theme is so prevalent because God wants you to know as his people individually and as a whole that he is with us. But listen, I say all that 
but I've got to add this part into it. It's when you are living in that redemptive story. It's when you're living out the will of God, when you're doing what God wants in every single day, you're living in that story. So how does Joseph fit in that story? Well, if you've heard me preach Genesis before, you'll know that Genesis is divided up into 10 segments. And each segment has what in Hebrew is called a toledoth. And the word toledoth is translated in English, generations. And that's kind of how you make uh, the breakdown or divisions of the book of Genesis as a whole. It begins in chapter 2 and verse 4. These are the generations of Adam. And then it goes to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and and there's a bunch of other ones all throughout there. And the very last Toledoth of the 10 in Genesis begins in chapter 37 in verse 2. And it is the Toledoth of Jacob. And that includes Joseph. All right. The generations of Joseph. He is the final link in the human history uh, of the first people that God created in the book of Joseph. And it goes from 37-2 to the end of the book. So it's not just a nice story of some guy who, you know, had moral purity and was able to fight off sexual temptation and can't we learn some things, uh, morality from that. It is that in application, but that's not the point. The point is, is that Joseph is in a line of people, a whole line of people who have been faithfully living out God's story as God is with them to help them do it. And that's where we need to see ourselves. That's where you and I need to see ourselves every single day. And so let me ask you at the very outset of our Bible study, do you live in the story of Jesus every day? Is that what shapes your mentality? Does it frame your choices? Does it give you perspective on what's taking place in our country and around us in the world? Um, does that help you understand how, how you work and how you, what your position or the thing, the purposes God has in your life and your existence and putting you here where you are and what it means to be facing the pandemic? Does all of that, is it factored on or does it have a perspective coming from living in God's story? See, because that makes a huge difference. So when the Lord says, or the narrator says in Genesis, that the Lord was with Joseph, it's not that he is just with him randomly. No, it's, it's with Joseph in Genesis at this time and what God is doing in redemptive history to raise up his people Israel, and Joseph has his part in it. And every decision in Joseph's life and everything that happens to him, he comes to the realization is because he's living in that story and the Lord is with him. And that's what I want you um, and I to begin to grasp even more. And so in the story, it says at the very beginning in chapter 39 and verse 5, is that from that time, he made him overseer, Potiphar did, in his house and over all that he had. And, and, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So he wasn't there just to be an immoral example for us. He was there because previous to this chapter, in chapter 12, Abraham, the first ancestor, God told him that he would be raised Abraham up so that he and his seed would be a blessing to all the nations. And so when Joseph is put in Potiphar, an Egyptian's house, he is there for this purpose to continue the redemptive story of the spreading of the blessing of God through Abraham to all the nations. And Joseph, although he's put in some precarious situations uh, too in this chapter, of uh, being in Potiphar's house and the assault of his wife, and eventually being in prison by the end of the chapter, but all of those circumstances, for good and bad, are part of God's spreading of the blessing that would come through Abraham to all the families of the nations of the earth. So you've got to put Joseph's life and the details, whether good or bad, into the context that he is serving the purposes of the story. That is absolutely, I couldn't stress that enough. Now, listen why. I'm going to give you some more of the context so that you can make some applications for you and your family. Ready? Often in scripture and particularly in Genesis, God makes contrast and he does it by putting two characters that are often seemingly the opposite of one another side by side in Scripture. He does that when you look at Cain and Abel and how different they were. And then you've got um, Jacob and Esau and how different they are. And, and, and then you come to this chapter and chapter 38 and chapter 39 
They're right next to each other. <laughs> that seems obvious and simple, and it is, but there's a reason. It's because chapter 39 is about Joseph and the upright, godly life he was using, how he was using God's story. But then in chapter 38, which almost seems to be out of place, is the story of Judah. Judah is the man and, and heads the tribe up that eventually Jesus would come out of. And you would think in the story that Judah being older and the tribe of Jesus, ultimately, would be the godly example, that he would be the man of purity and holiness and character and integrity. But he's not. See, he's not. Now listen, Judah and Joseph are from the same family. They have the same father, different mothers, but they have the same, they're in the same family. They worship the same God. They have the same upbringing, the same truths. But they don't live anywhere or anything like each other. You have Judah, who walks by the side of the road because he's keeping his son from marrying Tamar because his first two sons were wicked and God killed him and he doesn't want to give her the third one, which was the, the law. And uh, he doesn't. So um, he walks by the side of the road and he thinks that there's a prostitute there and he goes into it, but it's his own daughter-in-law. It's Tamar and he's an ungodly man. And if you know the story, he gives her his, you know, his staff and things that are his. And so later on, she's found out to be pregnant and and they want to they want to stone her and burn her, and he's in, he's the head lead, lead one leading the charge to do so. But then when she puts out the fact that it was him by showing the things the staff and otherwise that were his, he says that you are more righteous than I. So here we have the the head of the tribe of Judah, um, one of the patriarchs of twelve tribes of Israel, is immoral, and and he he has sexual temptation. He doesn't. Stand, hold out and, and do what's right, he gives into it. And, and then much younger, you have Joseph, who is not even home with his family like Judah was, but was in a foreign country in Egypt by himself alone. He's faced with what would everyone else would have done as a slave, because commanded by your, your, the master's wife, you do what you're told. He doesn't. And see, so you have these two people side by side. And here's, listen, here's the scary thing about that. Judah and Joseph were living, quote unquote, in the same story. They were worshiping the same God. They came from the same family. They had the same background. But look, just because you have the same religious trimmings or, or surroundings or environment around you doesn't mean that you're living in the story. You see that? Because Judah wasn't, but Joseph was. And Judah had it easier and Joseph had it harder, but Joseph was the one who was obediently living in God's story and Judah wasn't, although it was the same story. See, your kids... And you, if you're not careful, you can grow up around the church. You can come to the services. You can be in Sunday school. You can go to a small group. You can be in youth events. You can come to church-wide ministry and be involved in service. And you can do all those things. And your kids can grow up all around that. But it doesn't mean and it doesn't guarantee that they are living in God's story every day. It doesn't mean that they have biblical morals. It does not mean that they're living in obediently. Um, they may do what is told of them when they're before you. They may come to the services and go through the motions and do some of the religious duties and obligations and expectations. But see, it's possible to be around the story but not really be in the story. And so he, here's the point. Yeah, the Lord was with Joseph. But why? Because Joseph was making a choice every day, living out God's story, even when negative consequences would be the result of it. I mean, he took all that into consideration. And, and so how important is it to know the Lord is with you? Of great importance. But how can you know he is with you? If you're living in his story, if you're really living in it and obeying what he says in it. So when you do see the story we choose, whichever story it is, and by the way, the gospel story, the Jesus story, the God story is not the only one that's out there. There are alternatives and there are rival narratives about what the meta-narrative of life and your purpose and existence and, and all the big questions of life are about. And when it's the story we choose to live in, that story will help us answer the biggest questions in life, i.e., who am I? Um, the story you live in will give you your identity. What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose? What's really important in life? That will be answered by the story in which you live. Um, the question, what is the fundamental problem in life and how can it be fixed or addressed? 
you're going to make that decision and you're going to have your perspective and your worldview based on the story that you're actually living in every day. Judah was living the religious story. And for him, God was not something that was helping him make his moral choices. He wanted to have freedom of expression. He thought that he could go into a, a, a harlot and uh, God wouldn't care. And he was not true. He had the religious part of it, but it didn't have any impact on his life. And there are people, perhaps even who come to Faith Baptist Church, that you're religious, you believe in God, you know Jesus died on the cross, you believe the Bible's true. But the reality is, if you're honest, for some, it really doesn't have an impact on the way you spend your money and what's important to you and the values you give your kids and whether you're committed to the service or the ministries of our church or how you uh, uh, do your job and the language that comes out of your mouth and the movies that you watch and the music and, and on and on it goes. See, it really doesn't impact you. Those are just religious people. But they're not people who are living in God's story. And then you've got, on the other hand, in Genesis 39, you have... Potiphar's wife, who is not a believer, doesn't profess to be, and worship false gods, and therefore her, it was a, a sexuality was a matter of convenience, or powering over people, or being in charge, and making people do what you want, and there was no real right view of God or people in her life, and so, and, and we're surrounded by both of those types of stories, the religious story that comes from being at church, or the cultural story around us that has nothing to do with God and decides what is right and wrong on its own. See, that's the culture and that's the environment that we live in. And we have to choose out of all of those stories, which one that we're going to live in. And we have to be careful because the story we choose will have all kinds of ramifications. Joseph chose to live in God's story and it didn't matter what his position was, whether the son of, of Jacob or becoming a slave to Potiphar, his, his position didn't change how he viewed the story. His location, even when that changed, when he was at home in Israel or a slave in Egypt, living in a different land, a different culture, a, a different religious system around him, it never changed him because Joseph had made the decision on the inside. This is who I am. This is the story that I'm living out and I live it out. And see, that's what we need. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for teenagers, young people who says, it doesn't matter if I go to public school or Christian school. This is the story I'm living in. And it doesn't matter whether I'm around my saved friends or my unsaved friends. And for us as adults, it doesn't matter whether I'm at home with my family or on my job at work with a lot of people who don't believe in God whatsoever. See, I'm going to live out God's story. And when I do that, here's the confidence. I can know that the Lord is with me. There's a great book, and the, name, the title of it is Telling a Better Story. The author's name is Joshua Chatrao. C-H-A-T-R-A-W, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but in it he says a, con, a, um, a paragraph, I want to read it to you. He says, and I quote, our cultural concussion only seems to be more disorienting as time passes. It is if we've lost our bearings and with it, our ability to navigate the culture around us. You know what he's saying? He says, a cultural concussion is when we have assimilated ourselves into the story of the world around us. And the more we assimilate and become like the story of the people living that story of the world around us, here's what he says, we lose our bearings. As Christians, we, with it, lose our ability to navigate the culture around us. See, Joseph... No matter whether he was a slave, whether he was in prison, whether he was in the palace, whether he was confronted with sexual temptation, he was able to navigate the culture. Don't you want that for you and your family? Don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want to teach them when they're growing up? Say, here's how you can navigate public school. Here's how you can navigate a secular job. Here's how you can navigate living in the world and still live in God's story and make choices that make it obvious that he's the center of everything. He says, but see, when you have a cultural concussion, you lose that ability. When someone has a concussion, and maybe you had it yourself or someone in your family, you're aware of this fact that they're seeing and experiencing the world differently. Um, having a concussion, pre concussion prevents them 
from understanding what's happening and how they connect to others. I mean, if you watched the playoff game this past weekend and Patrick Mahomes got tackled and uh, we found out later he seems to have a concussion that when he first tried to stand up, he almost collapsed and they had to help him up because he was disoriented. And that's what a concussion does to you. It kind of makes you wobbly. You're not really ready to navigate getting to the sideline or you're not really sure who you're talking to or what just happened to you because concussions disorientate us. And so when you have a cultural concussion, you're disoriented. And I'm afraid that there are some of God's moms and dads and young adults and singles and teenagers who are suffering from a cultural concussion because they're not living in God's story. It's not his word that forms their opinions and their convictions and their understanding of how to navigate this world. And they're becoming more like the story around them all the time. Um, Charles Taylor who is a philosopher, Christian philosopher, he has a phrase in one of his writings called the rise of the imminent frame. Let me tell you what that means. The imminent frame, Taylor says, is viewing everything in terms of the material world only. In other words, people who live in America who are not Christians or live in our world, they live in a one-story house. A one-story house meaning that the bottom floor is everything. The stars, the moon, the sun, the world, the planet, and everything material and, and tangible in it, that's all there really is. And, and that understanding of our culture has, assuming that people can find the meaning or significance life, of life in the imminent. That's why he says imminent frame. Because you find the meaning in life of all the things that you can see and touch and feel around you. That's all that there is in life. So everything that you decide is based on that being it. He says, but they don't have what's called transcendence. Transcendence is a higher, divinely given purpose assigned to, to them. Our world doesn't live in a two-story house. It's only a one-story house. Everything in the world they can see is all there is. But see, that's not the house as Christians we live in. That's not the house Joseph lived in. He lived in a pagan culture in Egypt as a slave, and he lived in a two-story house, not a one-story house. Joseph lived that lived on the second floor because he saw God and who he was and his word and that he's in charge and he believed the truth of the Bible that he had. And see, and what he knew about the second floor informed and impact and transformed everything on the first floor. That's how Joseph could navigate his culture because he lived in a two-story house. And the question you have to ask for you and your family and those that you love, what kind of house do you live in? Do you live in a one-story house? I and mean, you make decisions all based on future finances or money or your retirement or what works for you or what everybody seems to find to be appropriate or acceptable. And is that your priorities and your values that you just accommodate to what the world's doing? Or do you have a second story where God is really the ultimate reality? And although it's invisible, that invisible really informs and transforms everything that's visible. See, that's the difference between Joseph and Judah and Potiphar's wife. And that's the difference between us as Christians and those who don't know God. Let me tell you now, I want to do two word studies, one in our text and one in a New Testament text, to kind of flesh that out and show you how it looks like in real life. So Joseph's lived, he chose every day to live in God's story, no matter what was happening, no matter where he was. Now, in, back to Genesis 39, in this chapter, the name of Yahweh is used um, nine times in this chapter. Uh, nine times, I'm sorry, in chapters 37 through 50. In the Joseph Toledoth, the name of Yahweh is used nine times. Now, what's significant is eight out of those nine times in 13 chapters, eight of those nine usages are in chapter 39. So there's 13 chapters, nine uses, but only one chapter, this chapter, chapter 39, has eight out of those nine usages, right? That's crucial, and let me show you why. Um, the name of Yahweh shows up in chapter 39 at the most uncertain time in Joseph's life. Um, it's His future hangs in the balance. All the things that he had previously dreamed that have not come true seems like they are now just a distant memory and possibly were false because the complete opposite of what his dreams were is the reality that he's living in. 
Um, at this time, Joseph is alone in Egypt. He is separated from everything familiar to him, including his house, how he grew up, and most of all, his family. And now this cloud hangs over his future about what's going to happen to him. But you have to ask the question, is he really alone? The narrative tells us that in two very precarious situations, living in Potiphar's house with his wife trying to seduce him and being thrown in prison, two various precarious situations that Joseph really is not alone. Because in both of those situations, Potiphar's house and in the prison, it says this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. See, and he, God wants us to know through the story of Joseph that he, if you live out his story, he is with you. And listen to this. In prosperity, because the Lord being with Joseph made him, and it says it numerous times, made him successful. That everything he did, God caused it to prosper. That even Potiphar's house prospered. The jailer in the prison prospered. So you, here's what it is. When the Lord is with you and you're living out his story, he is with you in prosperity. But... He's also with you in adversity. See, he's with you when you're lied about by Potiphar's wife. When you do what is morally right and she frames you and falsely accuses you and she wins out the day and you go to prison. See, even then, it says the Lord was with Joseph when he was in the jail and he made him have favor with the chief jailer. And he put him in charge of everything. And it says that the jailer didn't even pay attention to anything going on in the jail because he gave it to Josh, uh, um, Joseph's hand. See, so here's the big idea. See, when you choose to live out God's story, and I almost want to add in there, no matter what the consequences of doing so, but when you choose to live out God's story, the Lord is with you in prosperity and in adversity. And can I tell you, and I I think this is obviously true, that we need that truth in 2021, perhaps more than any other. Listen, you are or possibly could be at least, you may be called on as a Christian, a disciple, somebody who follows Jesus um, from Faith Baptist Church, you may be called on to live out God's story in the next number of years in some precarious situations of your own. Um, You may have a Potiphar's house situation, a prison situation of your own. And God is... And what we need to have confidence in, and this story helps us to live and realize, is that God has put you there to continue the redemptive story. He wants you to bring the blessings of God and the salvation of Jesus to the nations and to the world. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians 1 when he was in prison, that the things that have happened unto me have happened under the furtherance of the gospel. See how it changes your perspective? And and, and here's what, if you get a hold of this truth and you purpose with God's help and presence to live out his story, God may put you and I or our church in some very precarious situations, but he wants to do it because it's his way of spreading the blessing of the gospel, of the salvation that everyone needs. And he may have you be in situations dealing with people who treat you unfairly and unjustly. And when that happens, You and I are going to need the confidence that God is with us. Not just randomly because we live any way we want. No, but because we are seeking to live obediently to God's word and live out God's story and our part in his plan of redemption. And when we do that, we can have confidence that whether it's in prosperity or in adversity, that the Lord is with us. So in Joseph's life, here's how it looks like. Word study number one. The first word study in Genesis 39 is the word hand. And it is used eight times in this chapter. And keep this in mind. The word hand implies power. It implies authority. Someone who has charge over someone else. And so with that in mind, let's do a quick word study. And I want you to see when God is with you and you're living out his story, what it will look like at times. And remember both sides of the story, prosperity and adversity. So let's take a look at them. The first one is chapter 39 of verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites. In the Hebrew, it literally is the word Yad, and it says he was brought from the hand, he was bought from the hand of the Ishmaelites. So see, it's not what you always think. When the Lord is with you, 
Uh, the chapter starts out, the Lord's with him, but when the Lord is with him, he is in the hand of the Ishmaelites. So he's been sold into slavery. So we don't normally think that way. The Lord is with me, but I've been sold into slavery. The Lord is with me, but I'm property of the Ishmaelites. It doesn't seem to go together, but see, it does if you know what it means to live in God's story. The next use of the word hand in the chapter is verse 3. And that reads, and she can see, I'm sorry, chapter 38, 39.3 says, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So we go from the hand of the Ishmaelites and now Joseph's hands. And, and Potiphar has put all that he has in his house in Joseph's hands. So he was in the hand of the Ishmaelites and now his own hand, God is blessing and succeeding and he's given him favor in Pharaoh. So you got two different hands. You got Ishmaelites hands and you got Joseph's hands. You have adversity in the first time it's used and now you're getting prosperity in the second time it's used. Next one is again about Joseph's hands. Look at verses four, six, and eight. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge. The little word in charge is literally the Hebrew word hand. In other words, he put in Joseph's hands all that he had. Again, um, in verse number six. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge or in Joseph's hand. And verse number eight it says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my hand, literally in the Hebrew. So three times in a row, four, six, and eight, again, we're looking at Joseph's hands. First of all, Joseph was in the Ishmaelites' hands. Now success by Potiphar, uh, success that God has given Joseph is in his hands. But that's not where he ultimately lands. In chapter 39, verses 12 and 13, he ends up being falsely accused of sexual perversion, and he ends up being in the hand of Potiphar's wife. And that is found in verse number 12. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand. Again, verse 13, and as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand. So it's back and forth, isn't it? Ishmaelite's hands, Joseph's hands. Potiphar's wife's hands, and now again at the end of the chapter, back to Joseph's hands. And let me give you the last two inferences to hand, and that's verse 22 and 23 at the end of the chapter. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge. And there's our word again. He put everything in hand of Joseph, of all the prisoners there. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's hand. So back and forth. You have adversity with Israelite, Ishmaelites' hands. Then you have prosperity, Joseph's hand. You have adversity with Potiphar's wife's hands. And then you have, at the end of the chapter, back in Joseph's hands from the prisoner, the chief uh, jailer. See, that's what the story is teaching us. The story is when you live out God's story, um, and you live in that, and you acknowledge his presence, he is with you. And that means sometimes when God's with you that there will be adversity, and sometimes it'll be in prosperity, but you have to see it as all what it means to live in God's story and that he's with you. So when God is with you, you may be in the hands of all kinds of different people. But here's what we always have to know, that ultimately, no matter whose hands it is, I'm always in the hands of God. That is crucial. Now, let me flip it over one more. Remember, I told you two Bible studies. Let me give you the last one. This is the New Testament one, Acts chapter 12. You'll turn there. Again, we're going to do the same word because it is the word hand or hands. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 12. And what does this mean for us as individuals? And what does it mean for us as a church? The church, and namely Peter and Acts chapter 12, are living in the Jesus story. They're living out the gospel story. And the church has begun. And again, like Joseph experienced, Peter in the early church and those who follow Jesus are going to experience some opposition to that, just like you and I might face. And we're going to see that God is with them because they're choosing to live in his story, no matter what it means. And that is going to mean that when God is with them, he's with them in prosperity and 
in adversity. And there's a lot of different hands that they're going to fall into in Acts 12 and 13. So let me point them out to you. If you're writing them down, I'll probably try to go slow enough that you can get them. But the first one, it starts out chapter 12 in the book of Acts and says, About that time, Herod the king, underline, here's the first one, laid violent hands of some of those who belong to church. So here's the first hands. It's Herod's hands. And Herod's hands are violent hands. So even when the Lord is with you, um, you may be at times put into the hands of people who threaten your life. Um, and in, the ca- in this case, and I'm going to give you the overview real quick, he puts James in prison and eventually he puts Peter in prison. This is James, the brother of John. And one of Jesus' disciples. Now watch. See, he he's with them and is in prosperity because Peter ultimately gets delivered and released from the prison by the angel. But he's also with them, and James, who was put in prison before Peter, is killed with a sword, and that's adversity. So when the Lord is with you, it doesn't mean that your life will be peachy keen. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be any problems, that you aren't going to get persecuted, thrown into prison, and even martyred. Because James experienced all of those. Peter didn't. God delivered him. But the difference is this. It's not because God liked one better than the other one. It's because they had different purposes living out God's story. James was to be a martyr. and He was going to pass on the blessings of God and be an example and testimony in a different way. Ultimately, Peter would die too. They're just not at the same time. So God has different purposes, but that That's how you have to see living out the story. This is what it means to have the Lord with you. It doesn't mean that it's never going to turn out. It's always going to turn out right and you're never going to have any problems. So they're inherit the king's hands at first. And because of that, the next use of the word hands in verse 7 is that Peter is in prison and he has hands that are chained. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and notice, and chains fell off his hands. See, because Herod's hands were violent, Peter's hands were chained. And see, there's repercussions of when you're in other people's hands. But notice, all the time, even though he's been in Herod's hands, and he is in violent hands, and chained hands, He's always in the invisible hands of the Lord. Always. The next use in verse 11 says that while his hands are chained, the angel come, he delivers him. And it says, when Peter came to himself and said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. So Herod's hands are powerful. They're authoritative. They have the government behind them. He's had violent hands. He's already killed James. But the part of the story of redemption that Peter's living, see, God's hands are more powerful than Herod's hands. And that's why Peter's hands become unchained. See? And so when he gets to the house of his people who've been praying for him, they're shocked. They're shocked that the actual things they're praying have been answered. And Peter is not in the prison, but he's standing before the door. And it says in verse 17, he says, but nothing, but motioning to them with his hand. Now, now Peter's hand unchained is now being again, the leader of the early church. And he's motioning to them and he's telling them to be silent with his hand so that he can tell them the story that he's been living in of redemption and what God's power can do and how strong God's mighty hand is. That it's more powerful than Herod's hands and even the chains that were on his hands. And he relays that story. And see, isn't it great? We need that at faith. We need people sharing micro stories of how they live out God's story every day in their life, and they overcome unbelievable odds, and prayers are answered. See, that's what makes Faith Baptist or any church exciting. Is not that nothing bad ever happens, but whether it's per- Uh, adversity or prosperity that the Lord is with us and this is what God's hand can do that's what I want our church and our experience as Christians to be marked by in these difficult days in 2021 the the next one is chapter 13 and verse 3 and it says that after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so now we have from the picture of Peter in prison and being delivered, and now again, back to the main part of the story, right? Because it's all connected. Now we're talking about Paul and Barnabas being sent out on the first missionary journey, and the church leaders put their hands on them. And see, 
All of this is so that the story of reaching the nations and blessing the nations all the way back to Abraham is coming true. And then lastly, chapter 13 and verse 11, and when you're on the story and you're living it out and you're on a missions trip and you're doing all those things for God, there's still, if it's not Herod the king, there's going to be other opposition. And in this case, there is. And in chapter 13 and verse 11, on the very first trip, it says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And this is, um, I believe, at Elamis, the magician or the sorcerer, and he's trying to buy, or I think he's, he's against the, the Holy Spirit. He wants to wreck them. And he, the Bible even calls him the son of the devil, the enemy of righteousness. And he says, but now the hand of the Lord is upon you. See, again, it doesn't matter who the opposition comes from, whether it's from Rome, the government, Herod, Elamis, the sorcerer, Sorcerer, it doesn't matter where the opposition comes from. And what the, the gospel uh, um, tells us and the book of Acts tells us and Joseph's life tells us is, is that the invisible hand of God is stronger than anything and the story will be completed. Don't you want to be a part of that kind of story? So application, we need a two-handed grip on God's presence. We need a two-handed grip. We need to have a grip on that God is with us. Because we're living out his story every day. And that means that he's with us in the prosperity and two-handed grip and the adversity. So here's what it means. So God is with you. If you're living out his story, God is with you when you get the promotion and when you get the demotion. See, God is with you when you go to the doctor and you get the good diagnosis that you are cancer-free. But the Lord is also with you. When you don't get the good, when you get the bad diagnosis and they tell you that you're going to have to have surgery or chemotherapy or whatever else. I was texting Wes Jones the other day when I found out from uh, Dennis Hamp that he was in the hospital and he was worried because he thought he might have cancer. And so they weren't sure what happened. They had to do uh, some procedures and then it found out that he didn't have cancer. But see, God was with him. And he still has a diagnosis of diarticulitis, which is painful at times. But but listen, see, God was with him whether he would have got cancer or when he didn't get cancer and got diarticulitis. See, but the Lord was with him. And see, God wants us to see that whether it's prosperity or adversity, God has you in the hospital for a purpose and a reason. God has you losing your job for a reason. God has you being demoted for a reason. God has you, see, when you have COVID-19 and you think you do and you get tested. See, God is with you when the, when the results are negative and God is with you when the results are positive. When you have to miss work and you can't be there and you're on in your house for day after day after day. And sometimes when you feel really bad and you're wondering how sick you're going to get. See, the Lord is with you. And you need to live that out because it frames the whole way you look at circumstances, situation, everyone and everything that comes in. See, when people treat you good and when people mistreat you, when people honor you and people hate you, when things go your way at your job and when they don't go your way. See, that's what the Lord wants us to get out of Joseph's life. He wants us to see that he's with us. Last application and I'll be done. Um, there is a part of Potiphar's wife in that story, right? We know that. And, and, and can I tell you just as the last application, the Lord was with Joseph because Joseph would not be with Potiphar's wife. Let me say it again. The Lord was with Joseph because Joseph would not be with Potiphar's wife. See, see, that's those. he was with him because he wouldn't be with her. That's part of what it means to be in God's story. It's not only to see everything from God's point of view like Joseph did. Later on in Genesis 45 and verse 50, when he has his brothers and he's in charge and he could really take it all and take it out on them, he does it. And you know why? You know why he chose, instead of anger and bitterness and revenge, he chooses kindness and mercy and forgiveness? How is he able to do that after how they treated him? And all these years have passed. You know why? Here's what he says. Read it in Genesis 45, 5 and 50, 19 to 21. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. See, it was his God. He knew the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was with him. And now that he was, the Lord was with him in prosperity and made him ruler, he hadn't forgot the framework that this is God's story. And God's story is one of reconciliation and forgiveness and peace and redemption. And so that's what he offered to his brothers. That's how people do that. 
See, and, and, and you're holding on maybe to some bitterness and anger and how people have talked to you or treated you. And, and see, you're not living in God's story because God's story is a story of redemption. And when you see God's invisible hand over all of your circumstances and situations, see, then you'll have the capacity to forgive and to be kind because you know that that's exactly what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. So being in God's story means you have to have the Lord's positive with. And by that I mean the Lord is with you. But to have the positive with, you have to implement the negative with. You can't be with others in a personal, close kind of way that aren't living out God's story. Last example, Samson. If you read Judges chapter 16 and verse 20, toward the end of Samson's life, he is loving, wrongly so, Delilah. And she is urging him every day to tell him the secret of his strength. He does it three times, but eventually she gets the best of him. She has someone cut his hair while he's sleeping. He wakes up, the Philistines are on him, and here's what he says. I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. And maybe one of the saddest lines in Old Testament narrative, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, the Lord wasn't with him anymore. God's hand of blessing and power wasn't on Samson's life anymore. You know why? Because Samson chose to be with Delilah over being with God. And you can't do that and have the Lord be with you. You can't. He chose to be with Delilah over being with God. And when you do that, you are taking yourself out of God's story and putting it into the world's story or a story that you've picked up the pen and started writing. And when you do that and you stray from God's story through disobedience to God's word, then the Lord is not with you. He will not bless you. He doesn't have his hand on you. And you forfeit the wonder protection of his presence. You see, God is not like us in some, like like having a lucky charm with you. He's not a four-leaf clover or some rabbit's foot that you bring out once in a while when you get in an emergency or crisis situation you can't handle. No, he won't be treated that way. See, God wants you to live in his story every day, not just invoke him into your story when you can't handle the circumstances. See, when you stray for away from God's story and decide to live in your own story and write your own chapters, you have to deal with the consequences. So let me ask you, what story are you choosing to live in? Who are you being with that you're choosing over being with God and God being with you? Sometimes we choose non-believers to be in serious dating relationships. We choose to want to be with them even though we know God says that he doesn't want us to be in that kind of relationship, especially that kind of a marriage. And we, we are with them. And sometimes... Even some of God's people choose to live with them, and that involves immorality. And see, and that's and we're like Judah, and we're like and we're like Samson, that we choose to be with people in ways that are not part of God's story, and we show that by our disobedience. We choose to be with our political party and all that our political party stands for, and all it says, and all of its unbiblical values that go, we see. We choose to be with our political party over being with God. We choose to be with our friends and to be accepted and popular with them and all that they live for and stand for and all the things and rebelling against their parents and against authority and against God. See, there are young people here choosing to be with their friends over having God being with them. And when you do, both living in each story will have consequences. Can I tell you the greatest story to live in and the greatest consequences, whether it's prosperity or adversity, is living in the story of God every day and choosing so. Because when you do, no matter what those results are, here's what you have that no other story has. God is with you. Are you living that story? Is God with you? Do you see his hand and all the prosperity and adversity? If you don't, you, sh you should. And, and, and let's go into 2021, individually and together, say, Lord, be with us. In, in negative or positive situations, we are going to endeavor in our community, helping each other, and with your grace and presence, we're going to live out your story every day. Let's be that kind of people in 2021 at Faith Baptist Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and for the study of your word. Use it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace of the Lord be with you.